In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. I know some of you were impatient this week. We had a lot of people asking, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? It is a later game this week, the Monday Labor Day game. So we are recording Thursday night. We got a ton of stuff to talk to you about, including why we record so late in the week. And I will get to that. But we got to address the top performer of the week, Jamal Peters, the top performer of the month, Winton McManus. We've got comments from former Mayor David Miller. There's the Eric Sutton fine. Plus, we've got our usual assortment of injury report news, OCDC, one thing, prediction, fantasy advice, picks, and our halfway point power rankings. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, people are upset this week because they went to their podcast app Wednesday morning and there was no X's and Argos podcast. So I do think we have to explain to the good people uh, how the schedule works. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it, but generally, most weeks, we do record Tuesday night because generally Tuesday is the first official day of practice. And this week being a little different, today, Thursday, was the first official day of practice. So that's when the Argos are really actually legitimately practicing, not just going through a walkthrough. You get to see sort of who's dressed, who's not. And so in order to bring you the most the most accurate, the most up-to-date information we possibly can. This seemed like the the best day to record for a Monday podcast. But that said, we're glad that uh, that you you can't wait uh, for the podcast. That's awesome. It's better than than having you not care at all or not notice. So thank you for uh, to those of you who who asked where the podcast is. Here it is. You found it. You are listening to it. All right, let's get to it, JB. Jamal Peters, uh, top performer uh, of the week honors. Uh, not really surprising after the the huge game he had last week. I, I don't remember. I don't know if I remember a an Argos DB. I, there have been certainly, but in, you know, I was having a tough time recalling when the last time was that an Argos DB had such a dominant game. Three interceptions, taking one back, sixty seven yards for a touchdown, four tackles. Uh, it was it was a huge game from Jamal Peters. So that's very well deserved. Yeah, definitely. He is an up-and-coming star, and, you know, he really flashed out. It's funny you say that, too. Like, you think about how the Argos found this this gem in, in Jamal Peters. The first I ever really took note of him, because I remember when the, in the offseason that lasted forever, we signed so many defensive backs, and every time they'd sign someone, I'd watch some film, make some notes. Jamal Peters, nothing really stood out to me too much. Uh, you know, watching him at, at Mississippi State, he looked fine. But, you know, he wasn't particularly fast. He did get beat a, a lot in man coverage. His size was great, but it it just wasn't... I, I didn't actually think he would turn into anything. I think originally I didn't even think he would make the team. There were a lot of other names I was looking at. But I remember Coach Bell, the first time I talked to him, he asked me, he's like, have you watched... Jamal Peters. I'm like, yeah. He's like, watch watch Jamal Peters again. Uh, because he already was impressed with something that he saw in Jamal Peters. And I think part of it is the the Argo scheme certainly helps him because he, he's not terrific in man coverage. You know, he, he ran a, a 4.63, I think it was, at his, I think it was, was that the comment? That was a pro day. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the speed to keep up uh, in tight man coverage with someone that runs a 4.3 or 4.4. But 
first of all, in the CFL, you don't have a ton of those guys. And the Argos defense is largely zone-based. And he's such a nuisance in zone because he's so long, right? Like he stands 6'2", his wingspan is massive. And he's just got uh, this great ability to read the ball in the air. And so it's it's almost impossible to get to get it by him. Uh, the most annoying uh, for in terms of uh, playing against him is when he's got uh, flats uh, because he can the way the Argos play the, the flats they really back out and he doesn't actually have to get in that tight to the guy sort of curling in or hooking in or, or running it out behind him uh, in order to get in the way of that ball and so uh, you know that allows him to still close on those short routes I think a lot of the stuff they do on defense is successful because of of him but I get why other teams didn't pick up on him just like just like I didn't when I when I watched the film but you have to again hand it uh, to the Argo scouts for for finding this guy when when seemingly no one else did and they've done that time and time again uh, with a lot of the Americans they brought in and a bunch of the Canadians that that they've been drafting over the last few years yeah the the secondary has been probably their overall strongest unit in the last two years um they're you know they have good games and bad games like anybody but on the whole they're well coached um they're aggressive. There are athletes out there making plays. Uh, it, it has been really uh, one thing that the that the Argos have been able to count on is having a pretty good secondary most weeks. I finally got to ask Jamal Peters about uh, the the story that I told last year when I went out to a freezing cold practice. I think it was minus six or something like that, and Jamal Peters was the only player out there in shorts. And I remember thinking that was such a, an odd thing because I knew he I knew he played at Mississippi State and I had to look up, you know, what's the farthest north he had ever played a football game. And between high school and college, the farthest north before coming to the CFL was was Arkansas. And so I had a chance to ask him after the game last week about that and say, you know, is that, is that true? Is that like really the, the, the coldest it's ever been for you in a, in a football game is Arkansas? And he's like, yeah, like I thought. I thought that was cold, uh, you know, and then I came to the CFL and I asked him about the shorts incident. He's he said he wanted to prove to to the other guys that he could handle it, that he wasn't going to be afraid of uh, playing up here in the cold. So he wore his shorts, but only once. So uh, that's uh, I, I thought that was a, a, a kind of a, a fun resolution to a fun story. Yeah. And you you can tell, you know, he talked about he played some linebacker in high school. He played a little bit of wide receiver in university. Coaches recognize, you know, that he is an elite athlete and they want him on the field uh, and are willing to to try him in different places. So I think I think that speaks to his I, I know his his measurables are not off the chart, but I think the fact that he has played a couple of different positions suggests that, you know, coaching staffs recognize that he is a, a, an elite player who who can help them. Yeah, he's he's just a, a nuisance in the secondary, and he's in the perfect system for it, like we said. Let's move on to Wyndham McManus. So, Player of the Month honors, uh, that's that's quite something. Top performer for the month of August, Wyndham McManus. Not really surprising, and it's the consistency. That's what earns you these these Player of the Month honors. You know, you have, you have a, a huge game like Jamal Peters we just talked about. You're going to get Player of the Week uh, a nod, but... To be a player of the month uh, takes that consistency. Can't just be one huge spike and then three, meh, okay games. Listen to these numbers over the month of August. 33 tackles. This is over four games, by the way, right? 
33 tackles, three special teams tackles, a sack, a forced fumble. And at this point now in the season, Winter McManus leads the CFL in total tackles, 76. Total defensive plays with 85. Uh, He's got three sacks in there, an interception that he returned uh, 50 yards for a touchdown. He's got a pass knockdown, three tackles for a loss. Over a 10-game period, he's having not just a great month of August. Wyndham McManus is having an amazing season, and I would say that he is the best will linebacker in the CFL this year. And I know I know Cameron Judge has been playing great out in Calgary. I know you've got to always respect Simone Lawrence and Hamilton. I'm telling you, Wyndham McManus is having the best season of all of them. Yeah, he. It, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um as one does, I guess. I, I think he is the Eastern uh, nominee for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I think that he has been unbelievably consistent with occasional flashes of stardom. And he has been an unbelievable free agency signing. And he has brought a energy and a, uh, a commitment to aggression to the to the Argos defense, but not, not in the way like not over the edge as a couple of guys do, which I don't mind. But you know, his is kind of like he's not Moamba, who is like solid. He he has a little more edge than Moamba, but he you know he's not except for the sh- shoe throwing. Uh, he has been absolutely the best player on the Argos defense every snap of the of the year. I think that if he can keep this up, I I don't know who who could be better defensively for him in the East. I really don't in terms of consistency and, um, you know, making huge plays. And obviously he, he took care of business in Halifax uh, when they're playing Saskatchewan. I, I think he's right there. I do too, but I don't know if he has enough highlights to do it. And it shouldn't be about that. That shouldn't matter, but it always does. And I think it's tough when you're, going up against guys that are registering a ton of sacks or, you know, guys that are registering a ton of interceptions. Although that said, I think Jamal Peters is is now tied for the CFL lead in interceptions with four. So, uh, you know, I, I just think it's something like that for Wendy McManus. He just, he goes out and does a very workmanlike job every week. And it's not necessarily something that that jumps off the, the screen to people watching. So I, I don't actually expect that. I think he deserves it. And should at least be in the conversation. I'm not sure he is right now. And maybe it's going to take Toronto wrapping up the East and and really dominating down the stretch for other people to notice. His stats certainly do it. You you see him at the top of the, the tackle board. That should do it. But watching him play week in, week out, he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And and he's so solid. And next to Moamba, they just managed to take away so much of of what the opponents want to throw at you. It just limits the other team's offense. Like some of the, the defensive categories that the Argos do really well in uh, have a lot to do with the play of Wyndham McManus. Like, for example, the Argos are, are the number one team in the league in terms of not allowing touchdowns once the team's into the red zone. Um, you know, stuff like that is is where those linebackers really do tighten up and there's a lot less space down there. And and they, that's when they start taking away the run game. That's when they start clamping down on, on running backs, getting out of the backfield. And so, yeah, it's, it's of huge value. The Argos defense is a very good defense. And yeah, he's, he's pretty, is he unquestionably the leader of it? I guess he is. I guess he is. I, I think so. I think he, I, I mean, I don't, but unquestionably. I mean, I think obviously 
um, Mwamba is a, you know, has been an amazing signing and has been uh, a pillar in the middle of the field. But I think McManus has a juice that uh, the other guys on the team don't have. He has an electricity. You can see it in him. He is a leader. And I'd love to see them, you know, scheme up a few more sacks to to give them, uh, you know, a little more statistical push because I, I do believe at this point, sort of midway, he is the Eastern Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Earlier today, Toronto Mayor or former Toronto Mayor David Miller took to Twitter to express his outrage at the Argos leaving BMO Field a mess, uh, apparently. And uh, I want to vent about this a little bit. So let me just read the tweet and the responses to it. And it just got into a, a, a huge mess of conversations with Argos fans responding, TFC fans responding. So former Mayor David Miller says, Amazing how much damage the CFL does to a soccer pitch. A TFC's new Italian stars must be shocked. And Richard Petty uh, quote tweeted a response and it said, Before I retired, MLSE considered buying Argos. I presented to board four reasons why they shouldn't. One was that it was a natural turf soccer pitch and CFL football would destroy it. Today, they're hurting a franchise worth more than $800 million for one valued at maybe $10 million. JB, initial thoughts on this? <laughs> well, uh, uh, look, he's not wrong. Uh, you know, TFC is the older sibling. TFC is worth a lot of money. The Argos are not to MLSE. Uh, but he's wrong. I mean, he's just wrong. Uh, the Argos don't practice on the field. They play nine games, nine at home. Uh, the last game they played was on a gorgeous day. They didn't play in the rain, didn't play in the mud, they didn't tear the field up. And most NFL teams, which would dwarf any money that TFC makes, have, you know, 50,000 people in to watch a country music concert the night before the game. They have hundreds of events over the course of a, of a football season at NFL stadiums all across America. And, you know, nobody weeps tears for the poor NFL teams. They just go about their business. And those businesses are real businesses, not Major League Soccer business. And, you know, the Argos playing in the field didn't cause TFC to give up the 89th minute goal again their inability to have a backline defender and really not very good coaching from Bob Bradley and not really very good team construction from their general manager is resulting in a non-playoff season again for TFC. So I think if the field is what they're worrying about, then they have <laughs> bigger issues to conquer. There are so many soccer teams in North America who play on a field, as you said, that is used more than nine times by a football team and on natural grass fields. It's all over. Like, I actually started looking it up because I was going to respond with a list of soccer teams that that deal with far worse than than what he's complaining about. And it, it just, it was it, immediately, I, I recognized that there, there are too many. There, there, we're talking about hundreds here. This is not 
This is not something course, I can put into a tweet. Of course they do. In North America, you know how many you know, soccer teams have a soccer-only stadium? I mean, it's ridiculous. And like you said, it's it's not like the, it was a factor this week. The Argos, like we, we were there. We were at the game. It was a dry day. It, the field had been watered and taken care of. The field was not left in a mess. Now, it rained several days after that. Maybe that contributed. I don't know. It had nothing to do with the Toronto Argonauts. And even if it did, that's, you know, that's that's what happens sometimes. You know, soccer games played in, in terrible rain conditions are also going to tear up the field. So... Uh, David Miller is in the wrong on this, and uh, you know, shame on Richard Petty yeah, as well I mean, for on. jumping on. Yeah, it, it it it's such a minor part. Look, I am a soccer fan. I'm a TFC fan. They're not particularly good right now, and the field is not the reason. And to kind of come up with that as as a problem is is preposterous. When ninety percent of the league is playing in multi-purpose stadiums. Toronto DB Eric Sutton was fined for his groin punch. Uh, this this is probably not a long debate for you and I. Uh, correctly fined for the punch in the groin? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I know that McLeod had said in his press conference the week prior that it was time for the Argos to sack up. And, you know, maybe he just really took that to heart. Yeah, uh, it's... You have to you have to be fine for for that. It's it's a it, it's a movie. You just don't you don't want to see that in a game. You don't want to see people getting hit in the groin. No, it's just and, not a, and in all seriousness, if you're a special teamer, you can't risk what could have been, uh, you know, like really a game changing moment. You have them pinned. You have the momentum, and then suddenly you give them half a field, and now we're down a player. Um, you, you know, look, McManus threw a shoe, but. He's McManus. He can do the occasional thing like that. You're a special teamer. You cannot be getting penalties, you know, of that variety or of that stupidity, to be honest. Special teamer and a rookie at that. And so hopefully he can learn from this and never make that mistake again. If this kind of thing repeats itself and and we find ourselves talking about something like this in a few weeks time, then yeah, I think there's a good chance he's not going to be around for that long. Because <laughs> like you said, that no. you don't you don't last when you... Uh, you know, unless you're unless you're Winter McManus or or Chris Edwards or somebody who's making week to week contributions that are more than than uh, just solely on special teams, then uh, yeah, you you might, have to make sure that you don't make mistakes like this. They might have they might have thrown Chris Edwards out of the league if he had done that. He, he's <laughs> yeah. such a magnet for heat. You could just see the referees. I watched it at the game. Like as soon as they look at him, they have their hand on the flag. You know, he's such a magnet. He's such a heat magnet. I'm telling you, Chris Edwards gets suspended for a game. Guaranteed that happens. Uh, I, I hope not. But I see what you're saying. Like you pointed out to me in the press box last week, we were watching just the, just the way in which the officials not only deal with him, but they're all they've always got their eye on him. They're always tracking they're just him around the field, waiting for him to say something, to do something. And look, he's earned that. And he's in their books and he's got to get off their radar. But it is, you know, I'm going to defend him. We've made a mess of power rankings on many occasions. <laughs> uh, our last set of power rankings wasn't bad. It's actually held up throughout this, this span of, of four or five weeks now. But there has been a lot of change. We've seen Nathan Rourke 
become uh, injured and and no longer probably no longer going to be playing for the the BC Lions. We'll see how that works out. It is possible he'll come back at the end of the year. Highly unlikely. We've got to factor that into our power rankings. We've got the the trade of Vernon Adams to BC uh, from Montreal. That obviously will affect BC in some ways. Um, this is an interesting one. I'm really curious to see what your numbers are. So let's go through this as we always do, starting from nine, working our way to, to one. Start it off, JB. Who is your number nine team in our midway power rankings? Uh, Hamilton has, has climbed out of the basement uh, in my power ranking slightly. Uh, I'm going to have to go with our, our uh, you know, I had suggested last week that Ottawa and Edmonton just play each other for the rest of the year. Uh, I thought that that would be entertaining for them, entertaining for the fans. Um, they fought each other for the last spot. I'm going to give it to Edmonton, who are last in more categories than Ottawa is. So Edmonton, you are you are number nine. They're my number nine as well. I, I just I, I'm doing it less about statistics and more just eye test. They if I absolutely needed a win. They are the team that I would want to play. They're the worst football team. They have, they have won a few games here and there, and they, you know, they beat Ottawa at home. They they beat Hamilton uh, in Hamilton. They they have some wins, not in their in their own stadium, but uh, elsewhere. And they played Winnipeg really tough, but week to week, they're the worst football team in the league. Now, they're we've seen far worse football teams. One of them may have been in Toronto in twenty nineteen. Uh, so having them as the bottom of the league isn't necessarily a bad thing for the league. There's some promising things that you see out of Edmonton week to week. But yeah, they're number nine. The Edmonton story is, you know, is really as a CFL fan is sad. This this is a pillar, uh, you know, primary franchise of this league. And for them to be really terrible a couple of years in a row and they can't win at home, and nobody goes to the games. Uh, it's terrible to see. It's the not winning at home that does it for me. And I, I even feel bad for Ottawa that way too, because and it's almost in some ways it's worse for Ottawa because they did have people coming out. They had so much support for that terrible team that we saw in 2019 and the terrible team we saw last year. And people have just stopped now. And and you hate to see that because they, there's such great crowds in Ottawa. Young fans, the, the kind of fans that people say the CFL doesn't have. Well, they do have them in Ottawa, or they did, but you just can't spend, you can't spend two years going to games and not seeing a win. And you're seeing this, like the, the storied franchise in Edmonton. It just, I, I hope, I hope both of those organizations are able to put together a couple of home wins uh, down the stretch here because their fans deserve it. Certainly the Elks fans, the Red Blacks fans. You have Ottawa at eight? Uh, I don't actually. Oh, what? I have Hamilton at eight. <laughs> oh my God. And I'll explain to you why. <laughs> we have seen a lot of Hamilton. Uh, over the last few weeks, we're going to see a little bit more of them this week. Uh, Hamilton, uh, spoiler alert for my picks later, I think Hamilton's going to win this week. But I don't think you can count Labor Day as real because it's not real. It's a There's a weird mystique to it. I don't really understand it. And I'll get more into that later. They, they really go out of their way 
to lose football games. And the way that they're banged up, you start looking around at, at that team. I actually liked what I saw. Like Ottawa's moving in a positive direction. I, I liked their game last week. I thought they played really well. I thought Arbuckle put together a good game. I thought uh, he certainly showed promise and is moving in the right direction. That team is moving in the right direction. What direction is Hamilton moving in? I, I don't even, like, it's backwards um, at quite a high speed. I just think right now, I'm more afraid of Ottawa than Hamilton. Now, I know, like I said, I expect Toronto to go in and, and lose in Hamilton this week. But I think Ottawa right now is is playing like a better football team. So <laughs> Hamilton is my eight. No, I love it. I, I have Ottawa at eight. I think that uh, Ottawa is still, I know they beat the Argos in a game that I hope does not come back to haunt. Um, Ottawa is not good at football. And I know that they seem okay when they play Edmonton in the uh, the bottom bowl that those two teams uh, uh, you know compete in. But I I don't you know look maybe Arbuckle flashes and you know they they start to come along. I agree they have some talent on that team, but I would not pick Ottawa over Hamilton um, at this point. But we'll see. So is Hamilton your seven? Yeah, Hamilton is Hamilton seven. It was again another coin flip between Hamilton and Montreal, uh, but I think with Hamilton's uncertainty at quarterback and they've got some injuries, and you know, to heck with those guys. If I can, if I can call them the number seven team, uh, I will. They're not. You know, I we watch them. They they don't run particularly well. Dunbar is a nice player. Um. They, you know, they, they have some good guys on defense, but uh, they're not a team that, that scares you. I, you know, I think it's very hard to blow a Grey Cup and just come back and play the next season. So it doesn't surprise me that they're having uh, a hard time being at the same level. Imagine how hard it is to blow several Grey Cups and come back, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. which is maybe what we're seeing. It wears, right? It wears at you. So we got the same bottom three, just in different order. I, and I feel like that's a tier. Like I feel Ottawa, Hamilton, Edmonton. You you mentioned Montreal. Yeah, considering I, I, that, Montre- I don't think. I, uh, no, I have. Yeah, well, we have different tiers. I, I have Edmonton and Ottawa on an island by themselves. And then I have Hamilton, Montreal and Toronto in a tier. I, I honestly think. You know, I think Hamilton, Montreal, and Toronto are pretty interchangeable. I think Toronto is the best of the three at their best. But you look statistically, they're almost identical teams in their strengths and their weaknesses. Uh, I, I have them as a tier if we were to tier it. So my number six is Montreal. And I, I think this this season could have been so much different for them. It's taken them so long to adjust to not having Stanback, who they they lost in the opener. And they really haven't recovered from there. I, I don't think a lot of their defense, I their, their offense is inconsistent. Sometimes it's great. And, you know, they did beat Winnipeg. They can put amazing games together. And that's why they're not in the bottom tier for me. But it's just such an inconsistent effort. They're all over the place. I, I'm not really scared of them um i i they're certainly more dangerous than than ottawa hamilton and edmonton in my mind but they belong at six i feel really confident in that one yeah they're better than hamilton they've won two games against the west hamilton hasn't won anything against the west uh i think montreal is still very good at home uh i think they're a dangerous team 
more dangerous than Hamilton, but uh, also deeply flawed. I have I have Montreal at six as well. Uh, I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of them. I think, you, you know, if, if you play them, it's going to be a good game and a coin flip at the end. Who's your five? Uh, number five, I am uh, going to bring in uh, one Western team. I thought it was all too much to have no Western teams. Uh, at number five, I have falling down my chart. I have Saskatchewan. Um, yeah, same with me. I, I feel like Saskatchewan, look, they signed a couple of guys who are going to be really good, I think, as receiver. And they still have the core team I thought was number one overall. But just time and time again, they haven't put in great performances, especially at home, which has been really surprising. Uh, Fajardo, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether the pressure, I don't know, I don't know what happened to that team. I mean, I guess they lost two games to the Argos and just kind of lost sight of the plot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but they didn't, you know, they didn't really, they didn't look like themselves in those games at all. Well, the, one of the games was they were COVID stricken, but the game where they were I think the somewhat Acadia healthy. game broke them. I, mean, I, I was there, man, that game was, that game was bonkers. And, yeah. and to lose that game on the pick, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. It, it definitely, it definitely seemed to tailspin them. I feel like they could turn a corner here. They've got, they've got back to backs coming up with Winnipeg here, which are going to be really interesting. And if they can split that, that home and home, uh, the, the banjo bowl, if they can find a way to, to win it this weekend, maybe they find something because like you said, they've, they've got, you know, bringing some guys back, uh, you know, signing, signing a couple receivers that really should be difference makers on a team that has a lot of skill positions. And, you know, when, when Morrow eventually comes back, Fajardo finds his groove, they find some way to, to pass protect and play as an offensive line. Um, like we said at the beginning of the year, they should be a good team. So they're five right now. I don't expect them to go any lower than that. I think if they move from five, it will be up. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But, you know, I can't have them ahead of the Argos. The Argos beat them twice. I don't care who lined up for them. Now, the way you're speaking makes me think you have Argos four. I did for a while. I've been going back and forth on this all day. I ended up putting BC at four. And I, I thought, so initially, if, if Rourke were still healthy, BC would be either one or two. There's no question about that. They are such a different team like we saw last week without Nathan Rourke. He's such a special quarterback. And you see in the way they played how important a quarterback is and and why teams are so desperate to to find a quarterback that you know that can play at that sort of level because it is such a massive difference maker when you go from a, a star uh, to a even a good quarterback. And I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about Michael O'Connor or um, I actually kind of like the the depth at quarterback that BC's got, even more so now with, with Vernon Adams coming in. So initially when I heard about the Vernon Adams trade, I was thinking, well, that's it. BC's going to be back in the picture now. But we have to remember that right or wrong, Vernon Adams wasn't playing. He wasn't, he wasn't really addressing. I know there's a lot going on there, but it's not like they're bringing in the best that Vernon Adams has been. Now, I think he's going to look good in BC. He's got a lot of weapons to work with, but he's not a perfect quarterback either. He hasn't he hasn't been perfect. He makes mistakes and he's not Nathan Rourke. And if he comes in there and people expect him to be the same, I think they're going to be disappointed. So if I've got Nathan Rourke's led BC Lions at, at two, then to me, I think 
I think Adams has to drop them at least at least two places. So I've got them at four, which is still good. They're still going to be. This has saved their season. You know, this this gives them a chance again. But I, I think for until we see how this goes. Yeah, I, the Vernon Adams trade really uh, affected my power rankings as well. I have Toronto at four. Um, yeah, which is I think is is the right place for them. Uh, Toronto at its peak, I think, can ball with anybody except for maximum power <laughs> BC Lions. But that you know that I don't think that's going to come around again. Um, you know, I, I think Toronto. Look, they're still the leaders in the East. Um, they they are in games. They don't get blown out. You know, they played Winnipeg tough. They played Calgary tough. Um, you know, they are up and down. But uh, still, in that Great Cup conversation for me, uh, I have the Argos at at four. And is BC three? No, no. Interesting. Yeah, All I, right. So they you did see some movement yeah, there. Yeah, I, so. I have I have Calgary at three. I mean, I, I I know they just beat Toronto, but and I know they're missing players, and I know you love Calgary, um, but I don't know. I watched them. Didn't no, no, certainly nothing. Uh, blew me away. I think Calgary is good. Look, they're, they're, I have them top three. I think they are top three. Um, I, you know, when they get the running back back and they're, you know, they, they, they're a winning franchise. They know how to win. Um, they're going to be a tough playoff out for somebody in the West. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want to play them. Um, but I, I don't think they are as good as BC with Vernon Adams. I think that roster is loaded. And as long as he can keep that car between the ditches, um, I, I think BC is is still the better team than Calgary. So I've got Toronto at three for pretty much all the reasons you named. I think they can play with anyone in the West. I think they can play with anyone in the league. I think they are the best team in the East. And I think they can play with anyone in the West. We've seen them take out Saskatchewan a couple of times. Edmonton is not really in the conversation. And yeah, they played really tight. Remember a missed convert to lose to Winnipeg, really tight with Calgary. And they're not playing the same BC team they got blown out uh, by uh, ever again. So um, yeah, I think they belong at three for me. And yeah, and my two is Calgary. And I'll just add in some things that, uh, that you touched on. I do think they've got skill not to go head to head with BC, but I think they do at the quarterback position now, and that is going to make a difference. And guys are getting healthy, getting getting Thurman back and, and getting Kadeem Carey back. It, it, it's a, going to be a very different Calgary team. Those those losses to Winnipeg took a lot out of... You can only imagine like having to play Winnipeg when, when Winnipeg is on three games against Winnipeg. That is just rough. And so that's going to take it out of any team. Uh, but, you know, take that away. If, if there was... A team that I was going to choose to beat Winnipeg one game uh, at this stage of the season, it would be Calgary. And so that's why I've got them too. Yeah, I I would not be surprised at all if they're in the Western final. So who's your two then? That's got to be BC. Yeah, BC. I, got B, I have BC at two, yeah. I think that uh, that roster is, you know, every everybody is, is pretty healthy. And, that, you know, look, that roster is loaded. Um. You know, defensively they're not overwhelming. I will, I will grant you that, and that might be a problem come the playoffs. But this is not a playoff ranking. Uh, 
is a regular season power ranking, and I would say they have more than enough juice to be number two. And we don't even need to see like say anything at all about number one. Everyone knows Winnipeg is the best. They're number one on everybody's power rankings, especially now. And yeah, you don't really need to back it up. They're the best team. Just hands down, they are the best team in the CFL. But still beatable. I know they're very frustrating because they're that kind of team where you can almost beat them and then you lose to them. Um, but they're not, you know, I think that's what's exciting about this year. I would I would put those top those top four teams. Um I I think I think any of those four teams could beat each other in a playoff game. Yeah, I, I well we saw Montreal beat beat Winnipeg in Winnipeg. You saw Toronto come within a point. Calgary played them tight. Uh, so they're they're not invincible, and this is we've seen we've seen better Winnipeg Blue Bomber teams or more dominant Winnipeg Blue Bomber teams, but yeah, they're unquestionably number one. All right, JB, let's turn our attention to round four of Hamilton Toronto as we get everybody set for the Labor Day Classic. This this game is as I was saying before, this is not a normal football game. Hamilton on Labor Day is like Whoville at Christmas. It's like it, everything just stops and it, it just sort of becomes its own thing. It doesn't matter how bad Hamilton is or how good Toronto is. Every year, this is a disaster for the Argos. They go walking into this ambush regardless of what's going on in in the season for either team. They're 13 37 and 1 I think uh, historically on on Labor Day in Hamilton it's it's just different for them and uh, that is going to affect a lot of our conversation of, uh, about this game and, and how we prepare for it it's a huge game uh if they can win this game I think that puts them well I know I think it does put them in the driver's seat for the eastern uh the eastern title you know, it does. You know, like, but if, it's a big if. Yeah, I mean, if you can go up, you know, depending on what happens in the Montreal game, but if you could potentially go up, um, you know, two wins on Montreal, I, I just think it's going to be hard for Montreal to catch up after that. Uh, you know, they 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 play head to head, but you know, Toronto would have to go on like a four game losing streak to give that up, and it would certainly finally put the rest Hamilton. So I think when you have a, a chance to put a dagger in your opponent, this is it. You know, the, the, then it's just Montreal and Toronto for the second half of the season, and Hamilton is uh, at home watching on TV because it's over. If if Hamilton loses this game, they are done. So let's look at the injury report. Hamilton's injury report doesn't have too much going on. It's mostly good news for them. Dan Evans was practicing full today after resting his his shoulder yesterday and actually earlier in their walkthroughs uh, this week as well. Uh, Looks like they might get Chris Van Zyl back. Uh, He practiced full both yesterday and today. Other than that, we know Matthew Schultz is going to be out for a while. Jamie Newman is back and and healthy, so it's probably going to be Evans and Newman as the the two QBs dressed, uh, assuming they only dress two. Uh, they've got a lot of guys still out and are going to be for a while. And that's their injury news has sort of already happened, right? That's Simone Lawrence, uh, uh, Evans, um, uh, Jake Birch, uh, Addison. Like those are, oh, Lawrence Woods too. Like they, they've got a bunch of guys that 
that have impacted them already. But in terms of guys they weren't sure about for this week, I think it's going to be most of them coming back. The Argos is a little bit of a different story. I'm hoping that a lot of the guys that were out today were more veteran rest days. So you saw, you know, a couple of concerning limiteds, like uh, Darius Bladek being limited is a little bit, makes you a little bit nervous, but I think he's going to play. I think we can expect the O-line to go as they've gone out. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not too concerned there. The two positions I am a little worried about, one is DB. So you got Tavares McFadden, who didn't practice today with a hamstring injury. That worries me only because he's not a veteran. This isn't a veteran rest day. So you can just say, oh yeah, he's they're probably just taking it easy with him. DBs with hamstring issues, especially fast DBs, guys that are known for their speed um, with, with hamstring issues, that it does worry me. So we'll, we'll have to monitor that over the next couple of days. Uh, and Robert Priester was uh, was not practicing today. So that is also a concern. And then the third DB is Caleb Holden. So Again, both Priester and Holden, who had been expected to provide some depth for for halfbacks, uh, not practicing. So uh, hopefully Carnell, uh, who doesn't appear on the injury report, can go and and is is, um, problem free in this game because otherwise it could get a bit nerve wracking. But yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is right now at corner if McFadden can't go. So yeah, fingers crossed that he can. The other area of concern, a little bit uh, wide receiver. I don't know what to do with this. I've never seen a thorax injury posted on an injury report. Daveris Daniels uh, did not practice today with thorax uh, listed on the injury report. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I didn't notice any sort of injury occur to his thorax. I've never even used thorax in describing a human being. Isn't that usually like an insect term, like the... Like the social insects, like bees and and termites and and ants, uh, uh, where you talk about thorax. Is it involving your throat? I think it's like yeah. I think the thorax is like it's sort of like upper rib cage area. Isn't that like you know the the between your? I think it's between your throat and like uh, the bottom of your rib cage in that sort of region. But it's not like chest. So I don't know. I don't know how you hurt your your thorax, but. Uh, that's, so that's what makes me worry. Like I know what everything else is. I know, okay, he's, you know, he's, he's got ankle, he's got a knee, he's got, you know, this thorax. So let's see what happens. Hopefully this is more of a rest day than anything else. So he can get his thorax right. And, and it's going to be good to go tomorrow. But yeah, I don't, I didn't know what to do with that one. So a little concerned about that, but the good news on the receiver side is that Tommy Neald was able to go full. Now, if you're looking for one other area of concern, it would be running back because you've still got Declan Cross and Joe Carbone not practicing, and I expect them both to be out again this week. And Javon Leak didn't practice with a hamstring injury. So you've really just got uh, Olette and Adebavoye in the backfield, and that's it. No other running backs, no other fullbacks. And I think that's what they're going to go to war with on on Monday. I think that's going to be it. They're going to dress two running backs. It's going to be those two guys no fullbacks to, to speak of. And that just makes me a little bit nervous uh, when you don't have any depth because we've seen running backs go down. It's a position where there, there, there are injuries and, and Olette doesn't, you know, he looks like he's, he's been, he's taken a, a number of hits. He's dished some out as well, but I don't think he's a hundred percent right now either. And Adebaboy is a rookie. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, if you're looking for reasons to be nervous, I think I've outlined them pretty well there. It's time for OCDC. JB, we'll start it off with you. You are the defensive coordinator for the 
hometown Hamilton Tiger Cats this week. Uh, how are you stopping the Argos? I'm looking to to you know to take away the pass. I'm not worried at all about run. I think that we can take care of run just playing straight up ball. Uh, lots of DBs on the field. Uh, I, I definitely want to try and speed up McLeod. Uh, you can't let him get into a rhythm like a lot of quarterbacks, but especially he has he has a, a feel when he's on. Speed him up early. Um, DBs all over the field. Seven DBs. Uh, tight, tight man coverage, you know, maybe with a, a robber underneath. Um, tighter man coverage than than what they played before. I think you, that, that's that been the book on Toronto. Can these guys get off press? Can they get open with a, when a four-man rush is, is, is putting pressure on him? And I, I don't know if Hamilton really stuck to it enough. I don't know whether they think they have the DBs to play it. But in a vacuum, that's what I try and do. I try and... I try and go, man, I want to stay away from zone. I think McLeod is very good at breaking down zone. He's a smart guy. He studies a lot of film. Tight, tight man coverage, seven DBs, pressure the quarterback. You know, not none of that is a rocket surgery, but, uh, you know, that is definitely what I'm, I'm bringing. My film piece this week is on the Argos' success against man coverage last week. And I am a little worried. You'll have to watch that, that film piece, but I am a little worried that it... Uh, that it's something that's a little bit more difficult to duplicate than I was hoping when I started to dive into that topic. So in terms of the Hamilton offense, I think I really want to simplify it for Dane Evans this week, just to get his confidence back. We know the Argos don't play a lot of man. We talked about that. I really want to break things down where we go all the way back to the beginning, just to get him comfortable and get him started. Let's go with one read. Simple things. You know, watch the corner. Corner does this, you do this. Corner does this, you do this. Uh, we're, we're talking half field. This is really basic for a quarterback of, of Dane Evans' experience, but you just need to get him. He doesn't look like his normal self out there. And, and he's a guy that typically has exuded confidence throughout his career, and you don't see that in him. So let's build that up. Short passes. Uh, we're going to get uh, Jackson involved as well. Like Jackson had 16 touches last week, which is pretty good. I think it's got to be 20. Venzile is going to help that as well. But you can you can start passing with him as well. Not just not just the, the one read looks that I was talking about to receivers, but involving him in different ways. Obviously, the Argos have seen enough screens. They're going to be on those. But you can you can involve Jackson in uh, running draw plays. You can you can run shovel passes. The, those are nice confidence builders. Things that will both help out Evans and get Don Jackson some more touches. So that's how I'm going to focus uh, the offense this week. Simple reads for Evans. Let's go with very basic concepts. Uh, get him some confidence. Throw some accurate footballs. Have him worrying about one guy instead of trying to read a whole field, which he can do and he can get back to. But right now, that's just not what he needs, especially early. If there's if there's an early turnover in this game, I think that could be that could be death for for his confidence. So that's it's all based around keeping Dane Evans' stat sheet clean this week. Toronto's defense, JB. Let's do the good guys here. What are you planning defensively for the Argos? Uh, I'm sure they're going to run out um, different looks in terms of, you know, running some Wildcat stuff. So be ready for Wildcat for sure. Be ready to run blitz when you get a Wildcat look. Um, he's a load and, uh, you know, they're definitely going to, to try and throw that wrinkle. But I'm I'm happy with, with Dane Evans throwing into our zone defense. Um, keep him in the pocket. Don't worry about sacking him. 
just keep him in the pocket, make him throw that ball um, to to a receiver in the zone, and then if you have six, seven DBs out there, go get it. And I think you can get in his head. He he is a quarterback who who can get very streaky, as we saw last year in the playoffs. And he'll be at home. But, I mean, in this crowd, you know, much like, you know, I talked about like Hamilton, Toronto, Montreal are all the same team. If my man Evans throws a pick in the first quarter, okay, it's going to be off in Hamilton. It is not going to be the Lion King. It's going to be booze raining down. So that's, I think that's crucial. If you if you can get to him early, get a pick early, get a fumble early, that crowd is going to turn on him like a, a rabid hyena. <laughs> period um, you know so i'm looking to get and i'm not worried again i'm not worried about the running back uh, my big thing is just take away the jackson stuff out of the backfield like the releasing out of the backfield you know i hate that stuff he he likes to do that it, it's a confidence builder take that away the way they took away olette uh running those routes you know stay all over him don't give him i know we play the bend don't break but i would i would really try and ride that running back out of the backfield and, and take that take that immediate um, safety blanket away. For Toronto's offense, uh, I, let's focus on the run game first. I actually want to target uh, Hauser. He's a really good player, but I was just noticing these last few weeks, and this is what you get to see when you see Hamilton so often. You see one team so many times. They love dropping him into coverage on second down plays. They really like that. So if you're looking at any second down runs, you run right at Hauser, anticipating that he's going to be bailing in coverage because he will. They send him back there so much. He's really good at it. And it's surprising. It's been so effective because you see this, this hulking defensive lineman and you don't really think about him in coverage. But he he gets 30 yards downfield sometimes. He's, he's picked off. Uh, Nathan Rourke uh, on one of those plays. He almost picked off uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson earlier in the season. Uh, And so capitalize on that. If they're going to bail him out that often, target him in the run game. I also want to see more misdirection. We got a little bit of it last week. We we got the the banks end around that that you celebrated more of that stuff. You've got to have the linebackers guessing, especially without Simone Lawrence there. You've got to capitalize on that they weren't able to take advantage of kyle wilson too much last week he actually played a a pretty good game uh, and it was one of the guys that were trying to target that didn't really work so let's try misdirection just to see if if that will work on on wilson this week Uh, the other guys that the argos tried to pick on uh, rodney randall jr cariel brooks got picked on uh, pretty successfully actually davaris daniels had a really nice game against him and brooks is a is a great db so it's tough to repeat but with both of those guys you take you take uh, randall jr and and brooks and you look at what worked against them and they're watching a long week of film uh these same routes again and again seeing how they got beat uh by uh, Coxie and by by Daniels and now you have to sort of play off that so this is where we bring in some double moves from Tavares Daniels kind of like you remember the the touchdown uh, against BC last year at BMO Field Tavares Daniels had a beautiful double move on that from the inside from the slot plays like that Ambles had one 
this past week that I thought was really good for, for his touchdown. Those are great slot back double moves. And I think we can take advantage of, of Carriel Brooks that way. And with, with Randall Jr., it's a little bit the opposite. He got burned deep by Coxie. So now is when you, you bring in those outside release comebacks, those deep comebacks. And I think you're going to catch him continuing downfield. And then the last thing is if you're going to try and, and, and beat Kyle Wilson this week and, and he's beatable, he's not Simone Lawrence. He's in for Simone Lawrence, but he's not the same level of player. It's as well as he played, it's still a drop off. He had Olette shut down pretty well in the past game last week. They didn't have a single target or completion to Olette. And so now we've got to have variations of the routes that he was running. So instead of running flats and swings, I want wheel routes and Texas routes or diamond routes and see if you can't catch uh, Wilson uh, overcompensating for for the, the flats and the swings. One thing, JB, what is your one thing this week? Well, I want to say my one thing is to win a damn Labor Day game. <laughs> that, um, that could be enough. But I'll, I'll get a little a little more micro. Uh, I, I Look, I thought Olette looked, looked nice. Um, I want to see 100 total yards from him, passing and running. See My it. one thing's also Olet related. I want to see five receptions for Olet well, you can't uh, on have, the day. You can't have your one thing be Olet as well. <laughs> well, it is. That's what my one thing is. No, we, uh, we both want to see something from Olet. You want to see, what, a t- 100 total yards? I guess we should have talked about this prior to the pod. That's more exciting when we don't. Uh, yeah, 100, this 100, 100 yards from Linus Grimmage. All right, and I want five receptions. All right, Olette, it is all on you this week. Yeah, uh, I think you're, it has to you're be. You know, one I think thing. I don't need a hundred yards. Give me, give me forty yards running and sixty yards passing, and we win the game. I'll do my prediction first, just in case yours is the exact same uh, for the second <laughs> week in a row. Uh, I've got Hamilton winning this. Mm-hmm. I, I, if you just, if I just landed on this planet last week and I watched that game, Argos tie cats. I would say the Argos are going to win this week. They looked so much like the better team. They are the better team. Labor Day is just different. Hamilton wins 34-22. Nothing makes sense, but then everything returns to normal the following week. Uh, Toronto is about to go on uh, on the road. Is you know they've they've played seven games at home out of their first ten. Uh, well, considering you know Halifax at home. Um, it's going to be a challenge the second half of the season. I think this game is one of those games you have to circle and not, all right, we'll come back to it later. It's like, no, win this game, put a dagger in Hamilton, um, give yourself a little breathing room, go out, take care of business versus Ottawa uh, next week. I, I think this is the game. This is the season. So I, got, I have the Argos winning uh, 28-26. All right. Well, I hope you are right, not me. I just, I don't see it. Labor Day. It's time for our world-famous fantasy advice, JB. We had a rough week last week, and apologies if we cost you a win in your league or a terrible week. We didn't do well. We ended up in the 60s, I think. We pulled out a win somehow in our league. We're still in second place, um, eight and three. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty dicey. We, we got lucky. Uh, we ended up playing against... Uh, uh, a team that produced the worst uh, fantasy output in the league last week. So that worked for us. And this week we're playing one of the guys from two and out. So 
uh, we, we've got to pull it together and make sure we're, we're on point. We return uh, to putting near 100 or over 100 numbers. So let me run through it here. Uh, a couple of Stampeders in this because Stampeders are playing Edmonton. So we are going a little bit, a little bit Calgary heavy. We've got Jake Mayer, 8,080 at quarterback. Kadeem Carey in the backfield, 8,471. I think he's going to have a, a really nice day. And I, I like Frankie Hickson as our other running back. I know it's against Winnipeg, but I just think that price for what he can do, 4,148, I'm not expecting a huge a huge day from him. I, I don't really see that for him. But if he can even get eight points, seven, eight points, that's I'm fine with that with what you're spending. We save a, a little bit of money on our receivers because we've got Dalton Schoen, who's at 6,220. We love Schoen. He needs to have a big week after kind of disappearing a little bit. And Demonte Coxie, who had a pretty big week last week, but he's at 2,500. That's that's great value for not just a starting wide receiver, but a starting wide receiver that is starting to have a connection with his quarterback, like we saw with MBT last week. So we like Coxie and Schoen at wide receiver. That leaves Devaris Daniels for our flex. So you're looking for ideally a touchdown from both of those guys, Coxie and, and Daniels. But even if one of them gets the yards, one of them finds the end zone, I'm fine with that. Uh, we know how Devaris plays so well against Hamilton. He seems always to find a way to get a touchdown against them. So we're hoping for that again this week. 7,340 for Daniels. And that leaves our defense, the Montreal Alouettes, 3,200. They're at home. They're against Ottawa. It just seems like the the perfect recipe for uh, fantasy defense. All right, JB, it is probably time for what I would guess is your least favorite segment now where we make our picks. I feel like... I feel like I've uh, been a bit a bit snake bit with, you know, uh, guys that I've picked and things that have happened in these games. But yeah, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to love again. You're over 500 at least. You're 25 and 22. Ooh, Eastern uh, Eastern leading. Yeah, you are the East. I am Winnipeg at 32 and 15. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, let's go through it. So uh, Ottawa at Montreal. I'll go first. So Ottawa at Montreal. Uh, I I've got Ottawa. I think this is going to be an upset. I think I think the Red Blacks. Ooh, yeah, that'd uh, are be fantastic. I would I would love that. I like Montreal at home. Um, I I I'm not a Arbuckle guy. I I think Montreal takes care of business at home. But that'd be great if they didn't. Winnipeg at Saskatchewan. I have a feeling we're going to be different on. We might be different on three of the four of these. I I've got Saskatchewan at home against Winnipeg. I think this is. This is it. They're, you know, they're against the wall here. They're, they've got to answer. Uh, their season could very easily fall apart over the next two weeks if it hasn't already. They've got to win this one. You don't want to lose this one and then go into Winnipeg. Saskatchewan wins at home. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Winnipeg. I'm not, I'm not going to bet against Winnipeg. Yeah, it's probably smart, but I, I see it another way. So uh, I've taken Hamilton. You've taken Toronto. Uh, where are you going in the Calgary or on the Edmonton at Calgary game? <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess it's possible that do it that Calgary uh, lo- do looks past this game, but uh, they play they play Edmonton again next week. <laughs> So, to where are they looking past to to another another good time? Uh, I think Calgary wins. Calgary's about to go on a on a winning streak. I like Calgary here. 
Yeah, I like Calgary too. So yeah, we got three different picks though. So that that could move the table a little bit. But right now, it looks like you are going to be buying me a submarine sandwich. <laughs> no, this this could be a big this could be a big turnaround week for me. This is called this is a uh, it's moving week, and we're ready. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Hope you enjoy the Labor Day Monday game. Hopefully, it is not like every one of the past 51 of them. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.